Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special episode of the uh, Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. And this one is dedicated to the final episode, but also the finale, the final season, and just a whole shebang of Better Call Saul. Because finally, Jimmy McGill, aka Saul Goodman, aka Gene Takafik, has taken his bow for the last time. He has left the stage. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Or was there? Who knows? We'll discuss it over the next 45 minutes or so. And I'm joined by my two colleagues of such a lethal cunning for this podcast. Better call Boyd. It's Boyd Hilton. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Boyd. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Now that my microphone's around the right way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a faff. It's, it's a hell of a yeah. morning. It's a hell of a morning. That's all I'm going to say on that one. But uh, but here we are. We here here we are now. So we're all good. And uh, we're joined, of course, by Better Call Beth. It's Beth Webb. Hello. Hi Hello. there. How are you? You good? Good. I think Boyd and I are both still coasting in on a two day hangover from Pilot Two Hundred, but we're, we're yeah. happy to be here. How was it? How was the? Because I I I had to leave uh, just before you started the show. So how, <laughs> how, how did the how did the main? I, I did my bits and then I, and yes. then I left. Uh, how was the how was the main show? How did it go? It it went exactly as you would imagine, Chris. Oh, I'm so, my was... condolences. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In that James was James, Terry was Terry, Boyd was Boyd, and Beth was Beth. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was just an incredibly reliably, like unshakable version of themselves for better or worse. So, like a yes. souped, a super souped up version of themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Did anyone have like a come to Jesus moment, like like Jimmy does in the finale of Better Call Saul? Uh, I wish James had, but no. Uh. <laughs> yeah, James. James uh, just did a recount of everything he's ever thought about C that that stupid program on Apple TV Plus, yeah. which was longer than the main courtroom speech from uh, Jimmy McGill in the finale of uh, of the show we're about to talk about. Yes, yeah. I have, um, I've, I've seen I've seen a clip of that footage, and I've seen yeah, uh, both yeah. your your body language speaks volumes in that moment. And uh, yeah. and my condolences and my, uh, my 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 sympathies are with anyone who was in that room at that precise moment. But anyway, listen, we're not here to talk about C or Pilot Two Hundred. Congratulations on that! It is a, an incredible achievement you have. He says reading reading off the prepared script James gave him. It is an incredible achievement could you say something like <laughs> yeah right yeah. Yeah. Uh, no well done you guys well done it's uh thanks, it's man. amazing thank and here's you. to at thanks least for all your thanks for all your help oh thank you very much Steve. <laughs> thanks boyd thank yeah. you uh yeah. and anyway that's good talking about better call saul so uh i said on the last one we did because we did a mid-season uh spoiler special slash preview of what we thought would happen in the final six episodes and in that uh podcast i said that we were going to hopefully talk to Peter Gould, the show's co-creator and head writer and executive producer. And and we have, but wow. it won't be on this podcast. Oh. It will be on a subsequent podcast that will be uh, timed to coincide with the show's home entertainment release around about November, around about December, something like that. Okay. So we're saving all the gold gold uh, for that. In the meantime, you're going to get us three giggling idiots talking about this show. But you've got uh, a massive advantage over us because you've talked to the showrunner. That's yeah. co-creator no, extensively not, and you have all the insights. I'm not going to drop want. I'm not going to drop any gold oh, gold knowledge bombs. Yeah, 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 that's that's all that's okay. all being held. That's all being held, but I'm okay. I'm just letting the folks know at home that it's just going to okay. be us three for the time being talking about this and and I have to say, this is the first Tuesday in the last six weeks or so, or the last seven weeks, that we haven't had an episode of Better Call Saul to look forward to. We're now in that in that period where there will never be another episode of Better Call Saul. How do you feel about that, first and foremost? Well, I mean, as much as I'm sad today to to have gotten up and staunchly avoided all of social media, because <laughs> in spite of the finale, which I did get up early for, that had to be that had to be my Tuesday routine. Like I was fundamentally bad at my job because I had to avoid social media on Tuesdays. Otherwise, have better call Saul just just ruined for me. But if it hadn't finished, we wouldn't have had that ending, and that was just. Last week's episode was just one of the most perfect. I mean, you said it at 200, but it's just one of the most perfect enders to a TV show in, in recent memory. So bittersweet though it is, if it gave us that episode, I've made peace with the fact that today I've woken up, I've gone on Twitter, the birds were singing, you know, nature had healed, but we've had this really beautiful 
beautifully performed, poignant, teary goodbye to some of these incredible characters. So yeah, I'll take it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I woke up this morning and I, I have a lot in my mind. I've got a lot of things prepared for this morning, but I, I, I missed, I missed my, my Tuesday routine of getting up, going onto Netflix at 8am, avoiding all <laughs> the spoilers, avoiding, avoiding Twitter completely, which is very difficult for me because I'm a Twitter junkie, uh, avoiding Alan Seppenwall, avoiding all the good stuff, you know, because all, every episode would be accompanied by a dozen interviews with the writer or director of, of, yeah. of, that, of that episode. And so you just had yeah. to avoid all that stuff, step through the minefield. But, you know, I'm, I missed it today. But also, I'm happy, like Beth, that I now live in a world where, you know, there's hope, I think, for Jimmy and Kim. And they may have, there may be more prison visits down the line. And who knows, yeah. one day when he gets off for good behavior, she may be there waiting for him. But it's, it's so I'm, I'm very happy that we're in that world of possibilities. Boy, what about yourself? Yeah, same. I've completely, uh, I, I was bereft in, in the build up to the final episode. I was completely bereft and I was really had those pangs of like, this is, this is it. And not, no more of these characters ever, as far as we can tell. I think, you know, in, in other interviews that, that the co-creators have, have done, they've said, that's it for this universe now. Fair enough. I mean, you know, they've been working on it for the last fucking 10 years or whatever, at least. Mm, 15. Um, right. Yeah. Mm. So I was bereft in advance of watching it, but then I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think I, I thought the finale was so perfect. Um, I think it's, as I said on the Pilot TV 200th podcast, (laughs) I think it's one of the greatest series finales ever, as befits one of the greatest series ever. But, you know, I think if you compare it to like the Sopranos, famously, you know, controversial, Mm -hmm. much discussed finale, obviously the Breaking Bad action-packed thrilling finale that that was, Mm -hmm. and other dramas of this kind, I just think they really worked at coming up with something that as as happy an ending for viewers and fans and lovers of the show and for the core characters, you know, of our two core characters, Jimmy and Kim, as we could possibly have hoped for. And I see, like, I saw the next day, I did see the next day, um, or even that day, as you say, you know, when you watched at 8 a.m. and, and then watched, read all the, read all the recaps, et cetera, and, and opinion pieces, some, some debate over whether it was a happy ending or not, because obviously he was sentenced to 86 years in prison. But to be specific, Kim went out of her way to go and visit him in prison. And they had that amazing scene shot in film noir, black and white, where she's giving him a fag. And they're like, Humphrey Bogart and Lorraine Bacall or something. It doesn't get better than that. That's yeah. like everything you could have wanted. Everything he could have wanted in the end. Yeah. Because it's all about the two of them. Uh, exactly. And I think there was something in the episode where we finally devastatingly got to hear the phone call between the two of them where Jimmy's in the um, phone booth and Kim's at work and when he's sort of you know, almost trying to impress her with his lifestyle, his current lifestyle. And she says to him, what kind of life are you actually living? You know, she's she's completely right. She's completely right. He's not living the life of, he's not living a full life. He's kind of running away on last time. He's not truly happy. You know, she has and always will be the person that sees him for what he is. But even if he is in the in the slammer, I mean, there was that fantastic sequence on the on the bus in wasn't there where everybody was kind of chanting his name which terrified me to begin with and then you realize it's actually it's it's almost empowering in a way and then he's got Kim on his side he's probably at peace as you say you know even though he's got this this lengthy sentence ahead of him he's finally at peace and if he's not Kim Wexler is his attorney and will probably get him out in, in a few months. So, and well, in- well, technically, she's not an attorney at this, at this point. No. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. She's yeah. pretending to be one, which is, yeah. you know, not to put too fine a point on it, illegal. Uh, yeah. so, you know, maybe, Kim, maybe Kim gets uh, sent down for that as well and they, they go to a mixed prison and that's, that's, what the next, that's what the next season is. That would be amazing. Yeah. They went out of their way to make it clear this was a nice, as nice a prison as prisons get, right? They did there's that element. Uh, actually, boy, he went to the other one. So he, so oh yeah, Jimmy, right, yeah. it's all in his negotiations with yes. the uh, with the uh, the feds. He negotiates himself down to seven years in this cushy one yes. bunk Hilton. Uh, yes, and then and then whenever it all goes tits up for him, 
then he gets sent to the one that he's like ADX Montrose. That's that's horrible. It's out in the it's out in the, right. in, okay. in the you know the Rockies and it's dreadful. And so he gets sent to there. But you know the, the, he does use his his celebrity because I thought like Beth. I thought oh God, is it bad that people know he's Saul Goodman? But no, they they hold him in high esteem, and he might turn out to be Andy Dufresne, Mark Two. He might. You know, start getting all these kids or college degrees, and he might start writing two letters a week and getting the the prison library expanded, and and who knows, he might get that good behavior. Eighty six years out in thirty, I'm saying. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, exactly. But you're right; they made it clear that he, he that he's going to have a he's going to be fine, right? Like, yeah, with the way the prisoners were treating him. I, I am I the only one in that scene you mentioned, Beth, that in the bus in the prison bus taking one start. Chanting, but so I thought the puppet was going to crash or something due to you know, <laughs> well, like yes. excessive, <laughs> excessive merriment or something, you know. Like I really thought they were selling the way it was directed was quite tense. I felt a kind of edgy. Yeah. I was really, oh no, please don't let them drop off the edge of a cliff. You know? I was really worried about that. Good. Well, you, you could have a you could spin this into another spin-off where Jimmy goes on the run like the fugitive. But as the beginning of this episode of the finale shows that Jimmy's not great at being a fugitive because he just yeah. jumps into a dumpster in full view of the cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just kind of faffs yes, around yes. for a bit. Amazing, amazing dumpster scene. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but just you know, just think, just salute the the writers and you know Peter School particularly, but having coming up with a way. Of sticking with the tradition, you know, the lifelong tradition of not letting a obviously a, a criminal and someone who has broken bad get away with it. He he is, you know, he 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 gets his eighty six years in prison, mm. but at the same time, to show us that the resolution between him and Kim is is you know to give us that to give him that to balance those elements, you know, so beautifully. That yeah. his, the speech, the courthouse speech, you know that, and to kind of show him that in the end he knows he's going to do some, he's going to do the right thing to some extent, particularly to show Kim, you know, what, yeah. that, what he's capable of. Just what a fantastic way of ending these, of, of resolving this whole situation. I, I think for me that is different from Walter. Uh, from what happens, well, you know, I love Felina. I love the finale of Breaking Bad. I think it's one of the great, great, um, you know, stick the landing episodes of TV, but. Walter doesn't really have that come to Jesus moment at any at any point. Not really. Uh, you know, he he has that moment with Skylar in the final episode where he goes, you know, I, you know, all his bluster about I'm doing this for my family. And he goes, I didn't do it for my family. I did it for me. I did it because I liked it and I was good at it. And that's kind of analogous a little bit to what what Jimmy does in the in the final episode. But that's the first time Jimmy really does. You know, it's the first time for me to slip and Jimmy finds his feet, you know, and he's he's not backsliding anymore. And it's it's about someone who finally owns his mistakes and he owns Chuck and he owns what happened to Howard and he owns everything that, you know, that that sent Kim off on the path. And I think I, I don't know what you guys think about this, but do you think that Jimmy walks into that or Saul, we should be more uh, accurate, Saul walks into that courtroom? Do you think he walks in knowing he's going to blow everything up? Or do you think he does it when he sees Kim? Do we think that he has, do we think, for example, that he has some festering resentment towards Kim? That phone call didn't end well. That sets him on the slide to being caught as Jean. You know, he, do we think he's saying what he says about her to the, to the feds to get her into the courtroom so he can laugh in her face one last time? Or do we think he is, you know, he goes into that courtroom knowing full well what he's going to do? Well, he he said he wanted her to be there to see what he was about to do. I I don't know. In the same way that Saul was always Jimmy to me, I always think he was going to go in and be Jimmy. I think he was always going to bring her in. The the look, there's a look that I mentioned in 200 that he gives her over his shoulder while the the judge and his his representation are quarreling and squabbling and and everyone's kind of climbing over each other in this like sudden bombshell situation where he just glances back at Kim. And I think what's communicated in that glance is is just knowing there's there's such a certainty there that i just i don't know i just i just believe too wholeheartedly in jimmy as a person to think it was always going to be his agenda to bring her in there to make amends as best he could i think things changed when he slammed down that phone in the phone booth and he realized that his lifestyle wasn't impressing her and she was almost like holding up this mirror to him as to what he'd become and i think that was that was probably the turning point for him. Took a pretty awful detour about threatening an old woman. Um, <laughs> like a real kind of final dance round as a soul there. But I think 
I think getting it down to seven years, getting the chocolate chip ice cream, which was just such a wonderful touch, like a, a specific brand of, of mint chocolate chip ice cream that he could get delivered to this Hilton suite was just the proof that he could still do it. And then had every intention of coming in and doing hmm. what he did. Interesting. Interesting. Because I, 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 I agree. I think once, once he knows that she's involved, once he knows that she's gone to the authorities and has basically said, this is what happened to Howard Hamlin. And I was involved in it and Jimmy was involved in it and all that stuff. I think before then, in his negotiations with the feds, he's pure Saul Goodman at that point. And I think, you know, the, the, the Gene character regresses to Saul and Jimmy is gone at that point. There is no Jimmy at that point. I think once he, once he realizes that Kim could be potentially in trouble, I think that's the thing that, that sets him on this path of, of, of rediscovering Jimmy, who he has buried down deep. After she leaves him in episode nine, she, you know, he's, you know, we, we, we had that amazing jump cut that I want to talk about from, which, you know, th- th- there's so much about this final season that wrong footed people. And I, uh, and, uh, you know, so much it came out of left field. Uh, but at that moment, I think Jimmy has long gone. Everything that happens in Omaha is, is Gene regressing into Saul mm. uh, and a nastier version of Saul. And I think we've ever seen a sort of more nihilistic version, an angry version of Saul who, you know, isn't getting the, the, the satisfaction of the, the cons that he would do with either, you know, Marco, his friend Marco or Kim. He isn't getting the satisfaction of, of doing those cons. And so he's just lashing out at people willy nilly, um, almost begging to be caught, I would say. And he's about to strangle Marion in that, in that, in that, yeah. fin- in that scene. That, that you he think he would have done it? I think he's verging on it. I think he just pulls back. I think he would pull back from it. You'd hope, but yeah, he's really. I mean, that that's a that's a visceral moment of I'm going to fucking do anything. He's got to the point where he's desperate and will do anything to get extricate himself from being caught. But 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 as per when he decides to make that speech for Kim, basically, he he does he engineers it that she has to come to the court, doesn't he? He yeah. Yeah. right. So are you well, saying he's gambling that she'll be there? He's he, right. It's, it's not that she has to be there. He's hoping that by dangling enough yeah. info about what might he, he yeah. what he might be saying about her that she'll come. Because I agree with you completely about the negotiation scenes where he's definitely, as you say, he's completely sore because he's suddenly there's that he gets a glint in his eye, doesn't he, when he realizes he's come up with a new a new way of scamming these people, you know, by by persuading them that he's been the victim. Um, you know in all of this (laughs) you know they put they put a hood over my head and all of that that whole speech which he gives twice three times maybe yeah twice yeah yeah Um, which is totally accurate by the way totally accurate of course exactly that's the genius he's not lying in that moment yeah right exactly and I so I think yeah I I, I tend to think it's as he's there sitting there isn't there a moment I haven't rewatched it again (laughs) but isn't there he's sitting there with with um, Bill Oak the brilliant brilliant character he is by the way Mm. you know, he's sitting there. And it's, he, you're, I feel there's a moment where he kind of like, there's a eureka moment where he's like, right, I, this is what I'm going to do. This is there the, is, yeah, and, yeah. And he re- and he resolves to make this big speech. So I think it is roughly at that that eureka moment where where he decides that's the thing to do. Do you know what and, it is for me? Maybe I should have mentioned this to Peter Gold, but I didn't because I finally just thought of it. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> but it's like the scene in The Godfather Two when Frank Pentangeli goes to testify against the Corleones. Uh, at the Senate hearing, and then they brought his brother in from Sicily, and the inference is, the inference is that obviously something bad will happen to his brother if he doesn't play ball. But also, I think there's a little bit of him that's shamed by seeing his brother, uh, and I don't think that you know Jimmy's not worried about what's going to happen to Kim necessarily in that moment. But I think he's shamed by seeing her in, in that moment. And I think the full, I, I, I keep remembering that really what the full horror of what happened when they stood there in their home and Lalo um, killed Howard. I think that, I think the murder of Howard that they are so embroiled in still shocks. It's still, I mean, hurt for her, that's like, a you know, that is constantly resonating and echoing in her mind. And I think at that moment where Jimmy, where James, as he suddenly becomes. <laughs> James Morgan McGill. Yeah. He that he really he is revi- he is revitalized or whatever the rebirthed mm-hmm. um, by re- that reminder from seeing Kim that they both genuinely were shattered by that moment and that that 
reverberates through this whole thing. You know, that that's not, I know there's been so many crimes and deaths and such, but that there was something about that moment, again, brilliantly engineered, what an incredible piece of invention to, to have them all culminating in that moment in that, at the end of that mid season, uh, uh, break. So I think, yeah, that's part of it that he sees her and he's like, right. I, this, uh, Cause there's a moment, isn't he, where he kind of breaks up in the speech. He kind of, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Oh, incredible acting. It's all like, I think it's all going on. He's thinking of all of that and that genuinely, yeah, Saul is gone at that point And James is there dealing with the cruelty of what happened. I agree. Totally, totally 100% agree. And uh, some people, I know I, I've seen some some complaining about this finale uh, online because it isn't action-packed. And it, it you know, it, it does, it, for me, it is a happy ending, although obviously a bittersweet one. Um, you can write your own fan fiction about what happens to Jimmy and Kim. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'll be honest, I have. But, <laughs> but I know there's some people who've gone, basically this finale, didn't give them the Saul fireworks that they were looking for. That they were looking for Saul. When he says when he when he makes a phone call to Bill Oakley, he goes, "I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna come out on top to it like I always do." And he then he doesn't. He doesn't. He pays for his crimes. And I think some people were expecting him to somehow wriggle out of the the trap one last time and to somehow get away with it and be living large. And you know that happy ending we talked about in the, in the mid season show. Like, is there a possibility that he that this show could end with him and Kim living together, or somehow she's his defense attorney, or whatever it is? That didn't materialize. Uh, and I have a you know it's interesting because you know it feels almost like. <laughs> it feels almost to me like the Breaking Bad finale was almost written by Walter White and the El Camino finale was almost written by Jesse Pinkman. It's almost like if you've given those characters the chance to write their own endings. So Jesse's Jesse gets away in El Camino, he gets out, but after you know, going through a suitable amount of punishment, like he has to punish himself for everything that he's done. Uh, and Walter gets to write this almost perfect finale where everything goes right for him. Everything happens. And then he doesn't even have to suffer a horrible death from cancer. He gets, he just dies quickly via a bullet. Jimmy didn't, this doesn't feel like a, this doesn't feel like a finale written by Saul Goodman. So he doesn't get to, you know, do like grandiose thing. And I think some people were slightly disappointed by that, but this show, I think, especially in the last four episodes was basically determinately saying this was Gould and Gilligan and the entire writing staff going, we're not going to give you that because that's not what this show is. This show isn't Breaking Bad Part 2. Exactly. And I think it would have been a detriment to have gone down that route, I think. And I was someone that took some issue with the way that the Breaking Bad crossover was handled as someone who, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'm going to get some cruel words about it, but I liked, didn't love Breaking Bad. I love that, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I have... I have found that crossover just slightly clumsy in places, but I feel like with this final episode, they they got it. They got it right. They got the the very contained scenes with Walter White, with Mike Bless's heart. They they got it, and that wonderful, wonderful recurring theme of time travel as well was just it was perfect. It was perfect. I think yeah, it would have been a real detriment to go down a, a Breaking Bad route and kind of feed that fan service because you've got Breaking Bad for that. You already have Breaking Bad, which is the yeah. same thing. And Better Call Saul has taken such strengths to to stand alone and and just completely outstep the kind of prequel status that that kind of launched it in the first place. In the in the um, Better Call Saul official podcast um, that you offer, Megan, Chris, oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah. So in that, in, in the Bob, Bob Odenkirk, in the, in the, in the one for the last, for the finale, relentlessly talks about, doesn't he? Yeah. How he, you know, it's not a fireworks finale. He, he, he almost like he make, makes a comedy issue of it. Like keeps saying, you know, you chose to do not, you chose not to go down the fireworks route. Yeah. You know, there's no action pretty much. Um, and it becomes almost funny how obsessed he is with the fact almost you almost by then thinking maybe he's slightly annoyed that he wasn't given some kind of action back <laughs> finale. But I think he is doing it as a comedy bit generally. Uh, but, it, but it, you're right. It's uh, he that it's so it would have been completely inappropriate. And we basically we said goodbye to the whole cartel stuff, as you say, for you know five episodes from the end or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Amazing. the final four episodes mostly shot in the monochrome in the black and white, and you know all of that beautifully. 
it's it's a different it, it, this is the, this is what the crux of the show this is the heart and soul of the show is what's going to happen with him and kim that's that's what we care about so there are i'm going to say it emotional fireworks <laughs> rather, than, rather than rather than machine gun based fireworks and it's all the more and it's incredibly powerful i don't see how you could watch as a fan of the show yeah and i love breaking bad but i think i just think the thing, the stuff that makes this series, the whole series, extraordinarily insightful about about the human about human nature, is what just about elevates it above Breaking Bad. And I think it's interesting that, as you say, though the cameo, the Walter White cameo, reminds you of what a complete fucking bellend he was, mm-hmm. and the way he treats Saul. In that, in that, in that flashback, is so interesting. He's so dismissive, and of course, he's dismissive of the one-dimensional character that he met in Breaking Bad. But he doesn't know what we've all seen, which is the three dimensions that have extraordinarily played out over six seasons of this brilliant show. That has completely, you know, shown the most, the, the most subtle and multi-layered, yeah. literally different, differently named persona of this yeah. one guy. And that we've seen all that, and I think this is the, the most fitting finale, bearing all of that in mind. So yeah, but as to your point, it is like him. It's like James McGill has written it, isn't it? Not even like Jimmy or Saul <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or Gene. Okay. I feel like that. yeah, he has written this the, the the finale, and you know for an absolute fact that James will be fine in prison. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like you remember how. You know, in the same way that he was fine working in the Cinnabon, really, up until it wasn't, and he had to amuse himself by, you know, starting off some new cons. You know, like I feel like he know he's going to be fine. He'll probably start off some new cons in prison to keep himself amused as well. Maybe some light, you know, but I mean, it's fine because they're all cons anyway. Who knows? But he he'll be fine, and I think that's the you know, that's the that's the message in the end. Absolutely. I think uh, you've, you've hit upon something there that I've, I've kind of just realized, maybe because um, I know that Peter and Vince have talked about this, that there's the, the, the structure of the final episode is basically Christmas Carol. So that he's, he's visited by three ghosts who help you know, bring him back to himself. And so he's visited by the ghost of Mike and then the, the ghost of Walt and then the ghost of Chuck uh, as well, which is a cameo I, re- I really loved. Uh, you know, Chuck was a character I struggled to love, but Michael McKean, uh or McKeon, as McKeon, he's pronounced yes. on, on, yes. the, uh, on the Better Call Saul Insider podcast, which is interesting. Giancarlo Esposito, Ray yeah. Seahorn, and Ray. Michael McKeon. McKeon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so there you go. There's, there's something I didn't see coming. Yeah. Um, but I loved that cameo. I also loved Marie coming back uh for the finale i thought that really really worked and, and tied everything back into to hank and gomi we saw gomi's widow as well which was which was a lovely touch all that stuff all the flashbacks the the walter flashback someone else i think it was seppenwall alan seppenwall who's an amazing tv critic uh pointed out that the two walter white appearances in this in these final episodes he's an un- unalloyed asshole in both of those and that may be golden gilligan kind of pushing back against the cult of walter white mm. a little bit that people have misinterpreted walter white and have elevated him to this kind of hero status when he really was of course anything but but um there's a line that you just mentioned there boyd where he's uh they're talking about gray matter they're talking about you know Mm. The the regrets, the things you would change if you had a time machine. And Walter goes, oh, well, you know, there was this thing, the Grey Matter company that I started. And, you know, that could have been a lot of money. And uh, and Saul, because he saw at that point, goes, oh, you know, I could have done I could have done this. I could have done that. You know, you know. And Walt shoots him down immediately because we know that Saul slash Jimmy is, is actually a good lawyer. That he set off the Sandpiper uh, class action suit, which, of course, you know, led to ultimately Howard's death but you know hey ho we'll gloss over that really quickly but you know he could have you know, there's there's a parallel universe in which Walter White mentions that a lot earlier to Saul and then they just go straight and fight that instead and sue Elliot and Gretchen from, from Grey Matter they sue Lowe's they take them for everything they're worth uh, and there we go everyone's happy but then that's a much much shorter series but it, it just there was a little throwaway line that I think was just you know take a look at what you could have won yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. This is the this is the ultimate alternate path that you could have taken. Listen, we 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 actually don't have a lot of time left. We got about fifteen minutes, and there's so much I want to talk about with with this with this final run of episodes, and in fact, the final season. Because as I said earlier on, they kind of ripped up the rule book. They did everything that a final season kind of shouldn't do. Killing Nacho in episode three, 
you know, you usually save your yeah. final, your, your big deaths for the penultimate episode, right? Or or the final episode. So they kill Nacho in episode three. They kill Howard in episode seven. They kill Lalo in episode eight, which I did not see coming. Then in episode nine, they break up Jimmy and Kim. They say goodbye to the cartel thing uh, completely. They have that time jump, which is incredible because we've been waiting for six seasons for Jimmy McGill to become Saul Goodman. And then the show doesn't give us that. It gives us that for five minutes. And instead of it being triumphant, it feels tawdry. And it feels like a real kick in the teeth. And then the final four episodes are a jump forward in time, almost entirely in black and white. Fun, but also really bittersweet and introspective and quiet and intimate and low key. And I was like, this isn't how you're meant to do it. And yet it absolutely worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really did. <laughs> I realized it wasn't. I realized it wasn't a question in my head. Maybe I'll do that again. Uh, with, with a, uh, I'll go up at the end to, 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 to and yet it absolutely worked. Yeah. <laughs> to so which still say yeah, yeah, yeah it so did. You're right. But it's because it's, I think the reason it worked is because <laughs> because the the writers know the creators and writers know that we we are so invested in these characters and and that. They have a massive millions of people who are were desperate to see Kim and Jimmy slash Saul slash G slash James um, to see what's how because going back you know re- remembering the whole mystery essentially of how all the events that depicted in Breaking Bad had no reference at all to Kim you know solving that mystery was always such an intriguing element of this show and they and, and the way they did that the way they teased it. You know, and the way the way you're right when when she when she broke up with him, and you're like, we're all left bereft of that. We're like, will we see her again? And at that point, we were like, you know, we remember we were talking about, you know, will we ever see her again? We and and the way the great creators kind of, as you broke all the rules structurally, and even within episodes, the, the, the rules are really weird. The way they dropped in the different flashbacks was um was was amazing. Like, and the way they wove in, you know, all those different elements. Fantastic. So yeah, they were breaking rules, but I think they just know they were so confident that after these six seasons, we're also invested, particularly in the two of them, that they could get rid of all that other stuff, which we still we were also we're invested in all of that stuff massively as well. Don't get me wrong, and we were thrilled and excited about all of the cartel stuff and all of the Lalo stuff and all of that. It was brilliantly exciting and thrilling, but to then give us the space of these last episodes, pretty much all about how and what's going to happen with. Jimmy and Kim. I mean, I just remember the excitement of the episode that where we see Kim in Florida. I'm like, yeah. oh f- fuck, oh thank yeah. God, we're back with Kim. Yeah, and I was like so grateful. Yeah. It's like you know, as grateful as I am with seeing someone I haven't seen in real life a friend for like months. <laughs> or, you know, that's how invested we are in these people, in yeah. these characters. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I've never been so pleased to see someone be bought non or substitute mayonnaise in a in a weekly shop than I did Kim Kim works there. Even though it was such a mundane and I, I just loved that entire episode and seeing how her stakes, the stakes of her life had just been obliterated. Strawberry ice cream or vanilla ice cream, they're both great. Do you know what I mean? That that was that was a, a major decision in her day was deciding what kind of ice cream they were going to get for a colleague. And she was giving it such considered thought as well. Like it was, it was so interesting to see that complete shift. And she wasn't endangered, and she was leading a life of her her choosing. Which obviously Jimmy came in and and blew up all over again. Only this time with a with a happy ending. But yeah, that was that was such an interesting bottle episode. Um, and yeah, you're completely right, boy. Just just the sigh of relief that came when you see her just yeah, just living the most mundane existence, but you know, finding some actual actual solace in that was was absolutely wonderful. And the fact that we don't know how she left that world, how she did how she was able to just show up in in that prison cell and say, here I am. We don't know what happened to her partner. We don't know what happened to that that life that she was living. Um, I think it's kind of lovely. It even made me forgive one of the one of one of the TV tropes I hate the most, which is to just give someone a fringe to show that they're in a different <laughs> they, they just if it's a if it's a different life, you know, five years late five years later and they've just got a fringe and you're like like come on. Um <laughs> and it did push me, but I was able to forgive it because it was Listen. just such a wonderful character development. 
Beth Boyd and I would kill for a fringe. Oh, so, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Tread lightly. Tread lightly. Yes, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. No, it's totally true. great. Totally great. And the, the confidence to do that, because they, they did that with Lalo as well earlier in the season where the, he was off screen for a couple of uh, a couple of episodes. Uh, it felt like that episode of The Simpsons. Every time Lalo's, when Lalo's not on the screen, people should be asking, where's Lalo? Yeah. <laughs> it, felt yeah. Like, yeah. it felt like that as well with um, with Pucci. It felt like that with Kim. People should be asking, where's Kim after she leaves at the end of episode nine? Uh, and they held, up, they held off on Kim for two episodes. And then in the Better Call Saul style, they went all in. I think, she, mm. I think the first half hour of that episode is all Kim uh, culminating in that astonishing piece of acting from Ray Seahorn on the bus on the, on bus, the airport yeah. bus where she finally breaks down and, and at one point someone's hand I know that Vince Gilligan's partner Holly is on the bus but I don't know whether it's Vince Gilligan's partner's Holly's hand that reaches in to console her because yeah. the camera ever so slowly pushes in and obviously yeah, Vince Gilligan directed that, that episode and it's almost like you want that you want a hand to come in to console her and then another hand to slowly come in with an Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go right. There you go. go. Thanks much. Job yes, please. <laughs> Emmy, Emmy's all round. Emmy's all round. Emmy's for, for Bob. Uh, Jonathan Banks probably doesn't get the scenes that will will, will get him an Emmy, but I tell you two people who do. Um well, because I, I want to talk more about Kim, obviously, but Quickly uh, sidetracking to uh, Tony Dalton as Lala, yes. who is phenomenal in in that season, and he has that incredible way that he goes out because you know once he gets to the super lab with Gus, you uh, he know you know he's going to go out, uh, and that that final gurgle smile that he has on his face as if I can't believe this fucking loser got me. Mm. I am the great Lalo Salamanca. How did I possibly lose to this guy? Uh, I love that. And I think Giancarlo Esposito for that scene in episode nine where you see, again, the life that he could have had Mm. if he had just allowed himself to open up a little bit. He has that wonderful flirtation with the the waiter Mm. about the wine bottle. And then he just you, you just see him shut down and go, no. And that's the last we see of Gus, and we all know what happens to Gus. And you're watching that scene, by the way. That, I mean, that scene just sums up the whole just extraordinary brilliance of Better Call Saul, isn't it? Like, you're, you're, you're watching it, you're going, Why the, what the fuck is, that, is this about? <laughs> you know, just a just complete sidetrack into a long, quite a long spiel, you know, a long story about wine <laughs> with this guy. What the fuck was going on? And then... You kind of suddenly realise that's a really profound way of saying goodbye to that character. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 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 as you say, so much, so many thoughts about what could have been for him. Yeah, completely. But I think the whole, without wanting to be too pompous about it, but I'm going to be. Your <laughs> think again about the structure and the boldness and the not breaking all the rules. This show, on its own, this whole thing shows the absolute unimpeachable power of long form TV drama for me. Like, you know, what we, whatever you want to call it, peak TV, all, of, all, all the things we call it, cinematic television, blah, blah, blah. It just, it's just unbeatable, isn't it? Like mm. when it gets this, because we're attached to these people because we were watching them for fucking six years, you know, um, or, you know, even longer when it comes to Jimmy, Saul, et cetera. And nothing, nothing can, can achieve that. No film. I mean, you know, films can't can't compete with that. I'm afraid. As much as I love them, films. But this is the shit, isn't it? This is the real. <laughs> this is where it's at. This is. This I, is I the love best. them both yeah. equally, Boyd. I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're yeah. trying to say. I'm glad you know to... what I'm trying to say my long-winded, incoherent you're, way. You're Thank trying you. to advance pilot-centric agenda. Yes, <laughs> I won't allow it. I won't allow it. No, I, I that's just, not uh, my agenda. You paranoid <laughs> lunatic. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Films and TV are, uh, are, are they, they work equally, but you know, and I think one of the reasons why Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad worked so well is because they were so cinematic. I mean, these things are shot so beautifully; uh, it's just incredible. It's, you know, some of the some of the best montages in the business. That montage in episode ten, Nippy with uh, Jerry from Parks and Rec, or is it Gary from Parks and Rec? Uh, <laughs> were you know. They're 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 running the con and there's loads of cinnabons and it, and it's it's set to Lala Schifrin's music and it's just so fun and peppy and I don't think I can't think of many TV shows if indeed any TV shows that do montages better than Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So many amazing montages. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 it, extraordinary. Yeah, 
the one Just where Saul. we yeah. see Saul, Saul's life size. You say that tawdry, the tawdry mansion, and all of that shit that they were getting rid of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in episode one. Yeah. yeah. Well, the there's season. two, aren't yeah. there? There's the episode one, one, and then the later one where it's all where he's become he's he is now Saul and he's mm-hmm. and he's enjoying that stuff. Yeah. There's kind of like two different montages in that place in that showing that lifestyle. Yeah. That jump cut from Kim leaving Jimmy. Uh, in episode nine, Fun and Games is the is the title. <laughs> yeah. To suddenly, what four years later, and Jimmy is now Saul, and Jimmy has gone. Oh, it's so jarring. Yeah. Yeah, it broke my heart. Did it, it throw abs- you? Yeah. It was inevitable. I didn't think it would be that brutal a cut. Like it really did just go from one to to the other. There was no real montage, was there? It was just, yeah. she's she's going and, and here's Soul now. Um, it felt like we were kind of robbed of a chance to mourn, which again is why I was so pleased that we did get that episode with her um, a few episodes down the line. But yeah, it was it was inevitable, but it still, it still hurt. <laughs> it was, I think yeah. the, the jarring nature of it totally underlined what the whole the whole thing is about. It's, yeah. It's, 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 is the the different incarnations? It is the move from Jimmy to Saul, and it had to be jarring because that is it. That that was the mm. key that losing Kim turned him into Saul. You know yeah. and that, and it had to be that. the The jarringness of it was perfect for me. Yeah, <laughs> but but again, they they went left, and I thought they would go right because I think we were all expecting to have a couple of episodes set in the Breaking Bad timeline where we would you know. Rose, I think I said this in the last podcast, where it would be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You know, you'd see all the events of Breaking Bad, but from Saul's point of view. Didn't do that. Mm. Kind of does a little bit. But again, the 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 scene we get with Walt and Jesse uh, in the RFE is really interesting because it all plays in, it's all from Saul's point of view. So you can see him for the first time assessing these two guys and going, there's opportunity here. I, 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 you know, and he says it in the courtroom. You know, I, you know, I said I was integral to. Without me, Walter White would have been dead or in prison. And he's absolutely right, mm. and you can see it in that moment. That I think that's important why they chose that moment in the Breaking Bad timeline to show us Saul's POV. It's absolutely incredible. But they didn't. They didn't otherwise give us. They didn't wallow in Walter White. They didn't give us loads of Jesse Pinkman. They didn't give us that. They did. They didn't bring Hank and Gummy back, which I thought they might do. Um, instead, they cut straight to okay. Here's Saul Goodman for five minutes. It's terrible, mm. and he's soulless. Yeah, and you know, we initially thought that this thing was going to be a light, breezy comedy with Saul Goodman at that at the heart of it. And then when you eventually get to him, it feels to me that Gold and Gilligan and the rest of the writing staff probably felt a that they had told that they had they had seen that they'd done a lot with that character already in Better Call Saul. So I'm oh, sorry, in Breaking Bad. So why do that again? But also. You know, this is my personal opinion, and you may hear Peter Gould in this in a couple of months' time. <laughs> but I also feel that they couldn't bring themselves to write Saul for too long because they had fallen in love with Jimmy so much that it actually almost physically hurt them to to show Saul for more than five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. I, I just don't think we needed to see more than we I think it was perfect. We saw exactly. Yeah, they showed him with the, what, with the sex worker... In, in driving that fucking the Cadillac Deville in his hideous suits and <laughs> doing the comb over, yeah, like a kind of you know Walt Donald Trump existence, really, you know, yeah. like tacky, hideous, amoral bullshit artist, and they covered it in five minutes, as you say, and that's all we needed. That they completely showed that the the transition, the devastating loss of Kim, and how he had to become Saul because it just had to just be, just go for it. A pleasure-seeking, horrendous, amoral twat, basically. <laughs> and you totally believed it. It totally made sense. So all, all, that's all we needed. I think any other... I think you're right. It, we didn't need to drag. We didn't need to see any more. I just don't think we need to see any more than that. I think it was it was just brilliantly judged. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's bring this bad boy in. Let's stick the landing, just like they did in, in the show. Uh, I said I wanted to talk about Kim a little bit more. Uh, what do you think about her story, ultimately? Were you happy that they they showed her getting back into the law slowly but surely at the in in the finale? Do you think it was a satisfying ending for her? Yeah, she had she she got some agency, even if it was you know inevitably stealing her own fate. Um, it was great to see her break out and 
she she broke good you know she went she went the other way she <laughs> <laughs> she <laughs> she you broke she, good kid you broke good <laughs> so yeah i i was I, I i can't stress enough just 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 no notes on on that no and that, that ending mm. no no. And she didn't die. She didn't die. Right. Like, or, she didn't the die. The last spoiler special, we were, we were going, oh, they're not <laughs> yeah. going to kill her. They're not going to kill her. They're not going to do that. Um, but I have yeah. to say, yeah. that episode where Lalo goes to their place and, you know, he's like, You're, I'm going to send you on basically a, a suicide mission to kill Gus. I completely forgotten about Mike because I'm an idiot so <laughs> luckily Mike intervenes yeah. and it's all okay but yeah I was really worried in an episode mm. I was I oh, could, gotcha. I, after that after Lalo's removed from the equation I knew she was going to be fine because there was mm. no one around who was going to be you know a, a physical threat to her but that episode had me on tenterhooks I have to say oh, definitely completely. but I think everything she does in, in, in the in the last few episodes and in the finale particularly rings completely true to her character I think it's all she's she she tried to make amends to the to the life she helped ruin for Howard's you know wife etc. She's um you know she's she could face a civil suit and all of that so she's not necessarily going to wait going to get away with everything we don't know and and particularly but with with Jimmy I just feel it all makes complete sense because she she has registered her complete you know fury that of what she and him did. And yet at the same time, she's not going to, I think there's a profound human message at the end of this, which is that if you love someone and it is, you know, she does love Jimmy, that's clear that it's not case of forgiving them. It's kind of like you accept, she's accepting him. And I think his horrendous flaws you know, in that, in that final scene and she, and for her own happiness, I think, you know, in the end, she, she is going to be more content. She could have completely rejected any, any, any advice from him to him any way ever again. And at one point he thought that's that's what she's gonna do. That would have been, you know, the kind of a, a, a certain moral position to take. But she's true to her heart and true to her <laughs> again to sound too cheesy, but her intense essential love for Jimmy and that, you know, in the glory days of their relationship, they had an amazing time together. So I just feel the whole ending wraps up an amazingly intense, subtle that relationship and her love for him in a, in, a, in a brilliant way. Yeah, totally, totally agreed. I will say, you know, I think if there is one slight quibble with this final season is that Jonathan Banks probably didn't get that much to do. Uh, I like that they managed to squeeze him into the, you know, after episode nine, when, you know, Gus had gone and Lalo had gone, that they still managed to get Jonathan Banks into two of the episodes. And that, and, and that scene with, with, with Saul in his office was, was really fun. Um, and it got, we returned to the Bagman episode as well, which is one of the great episodes of the show. So that, that was lovely to see that. Um, but they probably could have, I don't know, they, maybe they could have done more with Mike. I don't know. Or maybe his story is told. Mm. Maybe it's just treading water so. at this point that, you know, yeah. it's Mike Ehrmantraut doing Mike Ehrmantraut things. Although I would watch the shit out of that. If they wanted to do a Mike Ehrmantraut spin-off. <laughs> of course. Then I am yeah. absolutely here for that. I love that it could there be was set a- 20 years previously and he can keep looking really, really old. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, because... Yeah. Trying to work out people's ages in this show is nearly impossible. Oh. But I think if I'm right in thinking that by the end of the show, when when uh, Jimmy says, you know, got you know, 86 years, but you know, you never know, time off for good, you know, with with good behavior. So that is a 59, 60 year old Bob Odenkirk playing. I think someone who is meant to be mid 40s. Yes, I think. <laughs> So, but it's fine. You just, you just go with it. But because of all the different wigs, like, you know, he's got wigs and mustaches and comb overs and, but it's still hard to pin down people's ages. And you have a 70 something Jonathan Banks playing guy who's meant to be in his sixties, I guess. But, ah, uh, well, you just have to roll with the punches here. But I, I love that Mike, that, that scene in, in Fun and Games where Mike explains to Kim and Jimmy after they're cleaning up Howard's corpse, you know, exactly what, what you got to do. And lots of people were like, I just want Mike Armitrout to come in and tell me how to run, run my life. Go, Here's oh, what yeah. you're going to do. You're going to yeah. get up in the morning. Yeah. You're going to go to the fridge. You're going to take out a banana. You're going to eat the banana. You know, <laughs> you're going to get some potassium. And that, would be, that would be amazing. So again, I would love that. And if, it, if yeah. it's like a Mike Armitrout life coach on Alexa, uh, I'm, I'm here for that. Um, but I'm going to finish off now by asking the big question. I think I know Beth's answer to this because she doesn't like Breaking Bad that much. Is this show better than Breaking Bad? Yes. Thank yeah. you, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I yep. now I now don't know. I 
talked to many Breaking Bad fans. I, mean, I haven't conducted a scientific poll, but I've read lots of reviews online. I've looked at lots of reaction on Twitter, etc. I don't know many Breaking Bad fans who don't think Better Call is better now. See, uh, but Nick was almost part of this. Nick Desemne was almost part of right. this. Right. He thinks really he thinks i'm insane for saying that better call soul is insane no that's fighting talk is what that is that is is mad so he would he would have been here fighting his corner oh well that's that's interesting i think this i just think this i think it's obvious i just think it's um i think it's just dealing with more i mean i love breaking bad main thrilling I think this has more profound things to say in in, in, that's my pompous that's my pompous explanation so why it's better yeah, I, I think it's a deeper, richer, more profound show in many ways. It's, uh, but Breaking Bad, I think, was, was at its height. Uh, this is not to denigrate Breaking Bad at all. I think these are possibly two of my five favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, you know, I haven't really sat down and made that list, but once you get past, you know, Carnation Street and Brookside, then <laughs> Crossroads. Now, how come Crossroads. you left out Crossroads? No, 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 no. I mentioned Brookside for a reason because Brookside, it, once you realize that Trevor is buried under, under that patio, just like Howard and Lalo are buried under the floor wow. of the Super Lab. Gosh. Wow. It, it, it's, it's so much richer. Uh, it'll make yeah. a rewatch so much richer. Did but, you uh, ask Peter, did you ask Peter Gould about the influence of Brookside on? Uh, <laughs> Get it back on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what a disgrace <laughs> I've let myself down I've let you guys I've let, I've let everyone down listen wow. but not to denigrate Breaking Bad I think Breaking Bad is amazing oh, uh, but for me and, and at its height it's absolutely hard pounding stuff um, but yeah I think I think Better Call Saul just nicks it for me just nicks it uh, but I can't wait to do a rewatch of of all of them and especially oh, when wow. Saul enters Breaking Bad and then starts seeing obviously you can't because you know but you know obviously they shot that stuff way before this but you know you can apply your own reading of Saul to that knowing what we now know about James Morgan McGill anyway there we go on that note that is it for our Better Call Saul final season spoiler special roundup Uh, I could talk about the show for a lot longer but we do have to wrap it up Uh, so here's what you're gonna do you're gonna say goodbye to Beth Webb (laughs) Bye. Bye, Mike. <laughs> You're going to say goodbye to Boyd Hill. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do without you. You're going to put on your left sock. Then you're going to put on your right sock. Uh, <laughs> you're going to turn the microphone around the right way. <laughs> I am your Mike Ermintrout, Boyd. Yes, you are. <laughs> In so many ways, you I really am your Mike Ermintrout. Oh, my yeah. God. This is going to end with you killing me, isn't it? And I'm going to go, Boyd, shut the fuck up and let me die in yeah. peace. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Uh, anyway, and it's goodbye from me as well. Uh, I'm going to steal the ending of the Better Call Saul Insider podcast right now uh, and do what they do, which is they have each episode end with someone saying, Better Call Saul in their best Bob Odenkirk styling. Who wants to have a go at this? Nope. It's, it's Boyd. You. It's Boyd. you. It's going no, to be it's you. It's going to be right, you, Chris. All right, here we Come go. <clears throat> Better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.